Well, we're beginning a new series, and it's about the family and the church. We want to talk about deeper things, though, than just family and church. We want to talk about God's vision and these kinds of things. But I got to tell you a little story. Uh, I'm sitting in a chair up here, as you can see, right? And I used to have a chair in my family room. And I don't know about you, but maybe you grew up in a home where dad had a chair. And I don't know, maybe it was unspoken, but when dad came in the room, if someone was in the chair, they got out of the chair. Well, we got new furniture not too long ago. And after the new furniture was in there, I noticed that my chair was gone. It was in the basement. And then I looked at where my chair was, and it was a new chair. But it wasn't for me. It was for the queen. (laughs) And I didn't know what all that meant, but all of a sudden, my chair's in the basement and her chair's in my spot. Families have changed, haven't they? You would never have done that to my dad's chair. Well, maybe, but you definitely would not have done that with my grandfather's chair. A lot of things are changing in our world today, aren't they? A lot of things about family. How families are made up. What they do. How they roll. It's happening in the church too. A lot of different things happening in the church. How the church rolls. A lot of change. The question is, Does any of it matter? I mean, other than it might upset me that my chair's in the basement, right? By the way, I just got to tell you, I did move it out of the basement, but it never found its place back in the family room. It is in another room of the house, right? (laughs) But does any family structures matter? Does it make a difference in where we're going? Does it matter what a church does and how a church rolls? That's the primary question I want to go after over the next couple of weeks. But let me give you a little picture of what I think is happening. It's a picture like this, that God has invaded this world. We're going to talk about how God invaded this world, but what's happened is God has a view, and there's God's view, and then (laughs) all other views. And it presses all of us to the question, am I going to listen to God's view and follow God's view? Or do all the other views that are going on today have equal or even stronger leverage in your heart and in your life? So we're in a new series. Family, and church, or church and family, God's invasion in the world. You're going to need your Bible. So if you have a Bible or a device, we want to go to Genesis chapter 18. uh, Genesis chapter 18. If you're in our online community, I want to encourage you to follow along with this. And uh, as we have done so often in the past, one of the ways that we honor God's Word is I invite those who are able to stand to stand. 
And if you're on the online community, let me encourage you to do that as well. want to honor God's word as we read it. I'm going to read just a few verses, Genesis 18, 16 to 19. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Father, as we study your word, would you bring us deeper into the truth of your view, your plan, your vision, your desire for our families, for our marriages, for this church. God, would you shape us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Because there's not one person that took the time to get here that wants to leave the same way they came. They want to be touched by you, by your spirit, by the truth of your word and the power that comes with it. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get into this this morning, uh, I'm making two points. And here's the first one that I'd like to go after. And that is this, is that God reveals himself to the world. God reveals himself to the world. He didn't do or say the things that we're going to look at over the next weeks in a vacuum. He didn't deliver it just to a few people. It's for the whole world to know. We're going to see what God's vision, some of His ideals, some of His plans for all of these different things. Now, we know that God speaks. We know that God speaks in probably two primary ways for those and you'll need a little bit of a thinking cap on this morning just warning you i need you to go a little deeper with me is there's this thing called natural revelation natural revelation that's just the world that god created and he reveals himself through it we can see it in in the mountains or the clouds or as we take telescopes and look wider out from our galaxy or we look at other things in the microscope but the primary way god reveals himself is the word of god that's why we want to honor it that's why we take some time now as we look at this and i see this phrase right god reveals himself to the world let's just begin with that word god we we read about it here in the passage and we're going to show the context of that in a moment but this word god let me tell you uh when pastor brad had us just think about god for a moment i thought there was a powerful moment there but here's what a lot of us do is we create god in our own image he's a lot like a human being just with superpowers he's just a little better than us Well, make them a lot better if you want. But that's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible describes God in, in a way that is so different than us. He is a being like we're a being. We can describe beings in different ways. They have a mind, they have emotions, these different kinds of things. But don't ever think that God's mind is like your mind. Don't ever think that his emotions are like your emotions. Don't ever think that his will operates the exact same way your will operates. So let's just pull it back right down to something that we all experience, love. We sometimes think that God's love is just like our love, except it's a little better, more intense or more pure. And all that's true, but let me tell you, That's not the God of the Bible. God's love is of a different kind. And as he tries to tell us what his love is like, we need to be in the word as he reveals it because it is not only in degree different than our love, it's different in kind. Let's take this a little further. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Right? That word holy, we sometimes just kind of scrub it and sanitize it and give it a religious spin. But what Isaiah, when, when these words are cried and he's repeating these or writing them down, this idea of holy is this God is like no other. We don't have words to describe. We can hardly comprehend any of it except what God reveals to us. He is different. Now, as God wants to reveal himself to this world, he has natural revelation. He has the word special revelation, but he brings it through two primary vehicles. We could say three, but for our purposes, I want to say two. The first is the church. The church, right? God is bringing his truth about himself as he reveals himself to this world. And he does it primarily through the church, God's people. Now, he also does it through the family. Those are the primary vehicles. We could say Israel as well. That would be the third. But Israel is much like the community of the church. And as we look at something like this, as we think about these different things, let me just bring us into something a little deeper as I talk about the church, right? So we see that Paul, writing 2,000 years ago, and Paul writes this, Scripture... Right? You, you see that first word there? Scripture talking about minimally the entire Old Testament, but likely too with a focus on what we're studying in Genesis. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. In other words, what we just read in Genesis chapter 18 Someone with spiritual eyes reading 3,500 years ago when Moses wrote that, they could have foreseen some of what God was doing. Look what it says. 
that the Scripture announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. The good news. The good news that God sees us in our plight and he's going to do something about it. This love that is different in degree and kind, this God is taking steps to do something radically different in this world. Now, for those that are a little more inclined, I told you to put on a thinking cap. We live in a world that is very much driven by a materialist world. What do I mean by that? Well, we have a big bang. We have an evolutionary theory that moves through how everything came and that's the way this world rolls by and large. Oh, now if you're Christian, here's what you do. You got to sprinkle in some miracles. But you still have fundamentally a materialist view of all that God created. I don't have to get into how God did everything. What I want to do is go even deeper and get us to think more radically, biblically, of what God is saying in the word to us this morning is that we have de-godded God. He is this one that is other like no other. He is holy. He spoke this world into existence. He created ex nihilo, we say. It's not just that he moves the world and time providentially in a way of sprinkling in miracles to make sure evolutionary theory stays intact, what the Bible says is that God is at work in every second of this world, holding it together. That's what it says. It strips out a materialist understanding and view of the world. It's a world that God has created. He is moving everything along, holding it together just the way he wants to do that. His way. And so when we read this passage and we begin to see what's going on, we begin to see that this God is different. So when we're in Galatians and we see that Scripture foresaw it, that makes sense to believers. Why? Because there's not just one author. There's the human author, Moses, but that would be just fine from a materialist standpoint. But the Bible tells us, wait a minute, God spoke through Moses and the others. So God is speaking. And God knew what he was doing 3,500 years ago when Moses wrote this. He knew what he was doing thousands of years before that when the world was created or whenever it was created and however it was created. But let's not de-God God and see that he's not at work. Now, all of this is playing into this idea that God has a view of what he is doing. He has a plan. He has a vision. He has a purpose. And when we have a materialist worldview, we strip out. We strip out all the 
eternal truths that make life so powerful for us. So, when we read this in Galatians, that Scripture announced the good news ahead of time, that should not surprise us. A materialist worldview says, wait a minute, Moses wrote that. There's no way he could have begun to comprehend it except, wait a minute, there's a divine author who penned these words, carried along by the Spirit, Moses, so that he recorded what God wanted him to record because God is doing something bigger than you and I could ever imagine. But what we keep doing is we keep making it smaller, we keep shrinking When we think about family and what's happening in our culture today, there's no surprise here. The younger generation is walking away a little faster than some of the older generation. Somewhere at the tune of uh, 70%. Part of the challenge is that we have not let Scripture speak. We have handcuffed it and we have bought into even a materialist worldview that tells us how to interpret Scripture because it's impossible to have a God that's at work moving history in a purposeful direction that then gives us purpose, that then gives us dignity, that then brings us value. And so that's where the Scripture is going over and over and over again. That's why even though our series is on church and family, and I want to focus mostly on on family today, what I'd like to do is say that at Fox Valley Church, we talk about this vision. This Fox Valley Church is a Christ-centered revolution of transformation. That it's Christ-centered. It's the story of Jesus. It's gospel-oriented, and it brings about real change in our hearts and our minds so that you and I live differently, think differently by the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go. This is really significant for Fox Valley Church. This is our vision, and let me say, this is also a vision for the family, as we'll see more and more in just a moment that God has a plan, a vision for your family. And I want to say it moves right along the lines of the church. These two vehicles, these two institutions that God wants to use to reveal himself. A family should be a Christ-centered revolution of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we believe that the Spirit of God is working, and we do, He is changing and transforming people from the inside out. So that vision of Fox Valley Church starts getting wrapped into all of what God is doing in history. But now, as we think about these different things, want to talk a little bit more about the family. So let's go back to what was happening, right, with Abraham, some of us know the context of this story. It's, it's very important. We're back in Genesis chapter 18, is that God, remember, made a promise to Abraham. That's what it says at the very end at verse 19, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Abraham was 75 years old. Sarah was 65 years old. Even though in our culture today, people are marrying later, having children later, I don't know that I've ever read about anyone having a child at 65. 
So, God is wanting to show that he's God. And he waits another 25 years. And you know the story. I don't have to go into all of this. Is that Abraham and Sarah start to take things into their own hands. Sarah says, why don't you take Hagar? This is about 14 years, 18 years down the road. And says, you know, God's slow. Maybe he didn't mean that he was going to do something in our family, in our marriage. Then we get to Genesis 18. And God's going to make it really clear. Now we're 25 years later after the promise. And God comes Himself. Most people look at this and say that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. Before Jesus took on flesh, there was the eternal Son of God. And He comes into the story at the beginning of Genesis 18. And they say, you know what? you are going to have a biological child. It is going to come through you. And now, while I haven't read even at age 65 a woman having a child, maybe there's been in the Guinness Book of Records, I don't know, but I have never heard of a woman at 89 carrying a child. And so God is wanting to show to the whole world how powerful He is. Now, after they make this announcement and Sarah laughs and Abraham's confused and all this, they get up to leave. The men get up to leave. One of them is the pre-incarnate Christ. They look down towards Sodom. Now that's a nation. That's a nation of people. That becomes really significant because God said He was going to bless all the nations. And then he says, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And they're walking towards Sodom. And then listen to what the pre-incarnate Christ says. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Are you catching the gravity of this? 25 years earlier, God makes this huge promise to Abraham And there's this relationship of trust. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord saying, can I trust Abraham? But you know what's going on in Abraham's mind. Can I trust God? Trust is powerful in families, isn't it? You betray trust, it is so hard to get it back. We see it all over the place. Why? Because when trust breaks, you no longer have the bridge to freight some of the most serious, heaviest, consequential questions in a relationship across. Trust is that bridge. It's that bridge of safety. And so when this happens, when this bridge of trust gets broken, where where, where do you go? How how do you freight your feelings anymore? You know where I'm going, right? With families. 
When a husband walks away, a father walks away, the trust is broken. How can I believe anything he says? Or when there's an affair, the trust gets broken. You say, how can I trust anything she says? And the children are walking in this world and all the safety of their world comes crashing down. No, without trust, it's hard. Can it be built back? Yes. But let me tell you, it takes a lot of prayer, sweat, toil, and time. So that's what's going on here. Shall I hide? Do you realize this covenant was made with Abraham? These promises went deep. And now God is saying, should I hide it? You don't hide stuff from people in relationship that you love and you're in a covenant with. It's an open book. It's an open time. It's about trust going on here. But then verse 18 You could cut out 18 and 19 and just skip to verse 20 and you'd say, what is going on in this passage? We didn't even need it. But it becomes powerfully significant because of the promises, the covenant that God made to Abraham. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him. This isn't some random thing. This isn't because Abraham was an awesome guy. This isn't because Abraham was perfect. Just read Genesis. You're going to find out. This guy was riddled with problems. It's because of God. And what our families need to talk about is that there is this God that is holy, unlike any other, that a materialist worldview can never explain, nor hardly talk about, because they read the Bible through a materialist worldview, and it all gets lost. He says, Abraham will become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And you can imagine Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, because this was the good news coming through. Verse 19, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Could we just make sure we're all on the same page here? I've chosen him. Actually, the Hebrew word there is knows. I know Abraham. And in Hebrew, when someone says, I know somebody, we're talking about an intimacy. We're talking about something strong and resilient. And God says, I've chosen him. That's the essence of what's going on. And then he says, and you will direct, Hebrew word may be better translated as command. Some of you might even have a translation of command. And you will command his children and his household after him see what god is saying now this makes sense only in the context of genesis remember genesis chapter one god says i'm making you in your image do our children and our families need to know that they're made in the image of god absolutely this is what gives them eternal dignity this is what says you're valuable and then when god says 
be fruitful and multiply, subdue and rule. There's purpose and plans built into this world that God wants all of us to know. But we're living in the 21st century and so many people today have no idea of purpose and dignity and value and that we have a moral value built in to this world because of God. He goes on so that they know that they'll keep the way of the Lord doing what is right and what is just. This is all brought in. And then we see, well, why is he teaching his children? Because in Genesis 2, God says, for this cause a man will leave his family and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And so marriage becomes the foundational element of all that God is doing. And out of the foundation, and biology does not deny this, it's natural. We feel it. You can argue all you want, but try to rip it out of someone's heart that a mom and a dad matter to them, even after divorce. Ask children that have come through this. Many of them will say death. Divorce is like a death that just keeps on dying. It's because it's part of the fabric of our biology, part of the warp and woof of nature. We want to know this, and it's all rooted, and so God wanted, it's the vehicle for the family to carry this forward. So Abraham was to teach, right? He was to teach it to Isaac. Isaac was the promised one. His name means laughter because Sarah laughed. And then it went to Jacob, right? And Jacob is the father of Israel, the nation of Israel. And so it went to this large community. And then it's going to come into the church through Jesus Christ, right? And it's all passed down through the family. Over and over, we see these kind of elements over and over and over again. Well, let me bring us into my second point. And that is, not only that God reveals himself, but the church and the family is God's plan to reveal himself. The church and the family is God's plan. So as we go to Genesis chapter 12, where the promise was, remember we saw that at the end of Genesis 18, the Lord said to Abraham, I will make you, this is verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and I'll make your name great. This is the promise of God right to Abraham and you will be a blessing and you'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, will, I will curse. But look at this. All families on earth will be blessed through you. It was God's plan. Now some of you might have different understandings of that word family. The Hebrew word behind it is best understood as as uh, clans or family, and that that's how God was working over and over again. So as we look at this, marriage is a basic building block. And what we need to see is one of the values of Fox Valley Church as it comes together is that the preeminence of God's word. If you're newer to Fox Valley Church, we have four values. What you'll hear us say over and over is the preeminence of God's word. God has the final say. God has the final word. That's why when we look at something like this, we see God's view of the world becomes very, very significant. 
We need to recognize that God is at work in amazing ways. There's an article in The Atlantic by David Brooks. He wrote, and let me give you the title first, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. Then he writes, this article is about the process, that process, and the devastation the process has wrought, and about how Americans are now groping to build a new kind, new kinds of family and find better ways to live. Listen to this next thing. This is what grabbed me in the article. Americans are experimenting with new forms of kinship and extended family in search of stability. What he's saying is we can create family however we want. We're going to find it. And then he gives in his article all kinds of websites that we're going to, meaning the world is going to, to find out how to rearrange, how to build new connections that circumvent the nuclear family. But let me read this next sentence. If you want to summarize the changes of family structure over the past century, the truest thing to say is this. The truest thing to say about the last hundred years with all the change, we've made life freer for individuals and more unstable for families. We've made life better for adults, but worse for children. Then he writes, while the children are the vulnerable group most obviously affected by all these recent changes, the way we're rearranging everything, they are not the only ones. And then he goes on and lists all the people that are being hurt by this breakdown of the nuclear family. Women was the next on the list. Men, single men, the breakdown and what that's doing to the destruction of the male soul. And then he talked about the elderly. And then he talked about ethnic groups. And all of it is coming, coming down. And it's coming down fast. So let me just say this as I come to a close here this morning. Is that the Christian family... The Christian family shows the grace of God to reveal God so that the world will stand in awe of God. We're going to use that same statement for the church too. The church shows the grace of God. That's what should be happening in the family. And next time, not next week, but in two weeks, I'm going to come back to the family. Next week, I'm going to focus more on the church. But the Christian family shows the grace of God, to reveal God so that the world will stand in awe of God. We should be living differently. So how do we do this? Let me bring us back to the three simple things we talk about at Fox Valley Church. The family faith journey. First, listen to God. Listen to God. Have your Bible open and listen to God. Second, love. Love one another. That's what God's called us to do. He says, you will know my families by the love 
they have for one another. Let me say, love covers a multitude of sins, and if you're here in a broken family or part of one, don't ever forget God can redeem broken families. He can heal that which the world could never heal. God can restore that which the enemy has sought to destroy. So I don't want anyone to leave. We all have our mistakes. We all have our stuff. If you look in my closet, you would see stuff I would be embarrassed for any to see. But God redeems, God restores, God rebuilds. Love one another. And finally, lead into mission. We have to lead with purpose. And we're going to get down in two weeks into some of the details of what's happening in our culture that's destroying the family. God is wanting to bless your family. He is wanting to bless everyone in your household. He is wanting to bless through Christ you, your marriage, and your family. Father, thank you for the truth of that word. Thank you for the hope that it gives us. Thank you that you haven't abandoned us. And God, where people have lost hope, would you fill them with hope that you are moving history. You're not just sprinkling it with miracles. You are moving it with purpose and dignity and value to a conclusion that will include people from every family around the globe Every household, God, you are restoring and rebuilding. We praise you for that. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.